0: Welcome to the sermon podcast of Old Bridge Baptist Church. Our mission at OBBC is to make disciples of Christ who connect with God, others, ministry, and the lost. We pray that the following sermon will encourage you in your walk with Christ today. Visit us on the web anytime at obb.church. Morning from Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, We had that also in Psalm 103. As you read that, I'm sure you were alerted to a man's name that, w- that was found in the reading of God's Word in the New Testament, and especially in Hebrews chapter 11. So if you have your Bible, please turn there with me as we look together at God's Word this morning. And uh, in Hebrews 11, the author provides an example, examples of men and women who lived their lives by faith. You have the example, if you were to go to the first part of the chapter of Abel. You have the example of Enoch. You have the example of Noah. Abraham, Sarah, and Moses, and others. Today we're going to focus on Moses specifically. But have you ever wondered why the author provides all these examples? Why would these list of names of people who walk by faith be given to us? Well, I think you're going to understand that as we get into the text today. But before I dive in and seek to unpack Hebrews 11 and these verses... Verses 23 forward, let me explain to you a true story that was passed on to me. It's a story that I think will resonate, especially with you and those of you that uh, have a love for people dedicating their life for the cause of Christ. Well, the mission was simple. Get rid of all the foreign devils. And that's exactly what these revolutionaries sought to do. The year was 1900. The location was northern China. China. The event would become one of the darkest moments in Chinese history, an event that became known as the Boxer Revolution. By the 1900s, the Western influence had grown much to the displeasure of some of the local Chinese. So a group of revolutionaries got together and they were bound to determine to decide to get rid of uh, these infidels, these basically Westerners. And they were going to cleanse their culture of anything Western. And so at this time, what transpired was dark and bloody. Top of the list beyond belief were Christians, but businesses were looted, lies were threatened, churches were burned, schools destroyed, and many Christians lost their lives during this dark period of history. Yet out of this darkness came this amazing story of faith. It took place at a Christian school where there were about, were about 100 students studying the Bible. The insurgents, the revolutionaries came into the school and they took these 100 students and they put them in a classroom and they barricaded all the exits in the room and in the school except for one. And they went to the chapel, and they took down an old cross, and they, they placed it down on the ground at the outside of this one exit of the room. And they instructed these 100 students in this way. They said, you will file out one by one, and you will step on the cross as a way of denouncing your faith in Christ. If you do so, we will let you go. But if you refuse to step on the cross, you will be executed immediately. Well, the first eight students that came out one by one stepped on the cross. And as they did, the revolutionaries did as they promised. They let them go. And then the next girl in line was a young teenage girl. She walked out to the cross. She could not step on it. Instead, she kneeled beside it and prayed out loud that God would give her the strength to endure whatever would come next. And she got up, she walked to the revolutionaries, and true to their word, they killed her on the spot. But what happened next was unbelievable. You see, the 91 students that were still left in the room heard what had just happened, and not a single one of them stepped on the cross. All it took was that one example of faith to encourage the rest of these young people to live and die for their faith. What would you do if you were in this position? As I consider Hebrews 11 and the men and women that the Lord gives to us as examples for us to follow, I have to consider that these examples are given to each of us to strengthen our faith. These examples are put in the word of God so that we will be not only just, wow, they were great men and women, but they are here to encourage us and to strengthen our walk. The Bible frequently talks about being an example. Paul tells Timothy, let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an an example. To Titus, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. As you well know, Matthew 5 says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see, what, church? Your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Examples are powerful, yet it takes faith. Let me ask you a deep theological question, and that is this. Why do you live here? Is it not to have faith in God? Is that not the reason you're here today? Well, in Hebrews chapter 11, we are given the answer to this question What is faith? It's an all important question. It's defined for us. In this world, we have many people that maybe try to portray what faith is. And so today, perhaps you could find in a bookstore or something else a definition of faith. But I believe the best place to get the definition of faith is in God's Word. And Hebrews 11 could not be a more appropriate place to know what faith is and what faith is not. Well, what is faith? It's not the world's perspective, which you might find, though, in other places, because Hebrews 11, Hebrews 11 helps us to understand and to not just understand for intellectual manner, but to live out true, genuine faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 helps us to understand that faith is the confidence we have based on the promises of God. And because of the God who promises the things hoped for, the things that we don't yet see. And it helps us to have faith to overcome our fears. So we are confident because God promises. It's a promise. It's not just a suggestion. But God promises some things as you walk by faith. And we step out because God has said so. Now, in order to get a handle on this, what is faith? For me personally, it helps me to consider what the opposite is. And often in Just this last May I resigned as the pastor of a church on the south end of Pyeongtaek where I had the opportunity of starting a new church that was in an area that a Korean had so wanted to have an international church and had prayed for years and we were able to be a part of that answer to prayer. And as I spoke often, I would often use the words, for me personally, to understand what something is. It helps me to understand what it is not first. So let me understand with you, or maybe help you to understand how I think. Maybe it'll help you also to know what faith is not. Because faith is not, first of all, risk without revelation. It's not simply risking something without revelation. In some ways, I would say that faith isn't risking because there's nothing more certain than the promises of God. Amen, church? Yeah. Second, faith is not just positive thinking. Faith is not believing that you can do anything. (laughs) And faith is based on what God has actually said. God has spoken and we can trust his word. Third, faith is not facts without action. You know this because in James, we have these words. Finish the sentence with me. Faith without works is? Amen. So if we believe... We act on that belief. It's not simply intellectual fact alone. Fourth, faith is not circumstantial. It's not, if I only believe if it makes sense, then I will do this. (laughs) Noah couldn't live his life that way. He had never seen rain, and yet he was told to build an ark. And so it wouldn't have made sense, and often that's the case. You and I often have to come to realization we will either trust God or we will not in this given situation. And so our confidence is in God. And lastly, faith is not simply getting my way. It's not just praying a wishful prayer that I'm going to have something bigger, better, and therefore I'm going to get this. That is, faith is what you want rather than what God has actually said. What God has promised is that he will always be with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. Can you trust him on that? So we have to be careful that our faith is nothing more than an expression of what you and I want. Because that's not true, genuine faith. After all, the world can do that, right? (laughs) Just simply want something and think that they have faith. You see, God has given us promises and you can bank on your life on that. And what God has spoken, you can count on. And that's what faith is. Now, why is faith so important? Answer, well, Hebrews eleven six tells us these words, and it affirms without faith, it is impossible to please God. So faith is so important because when we trust God, we please God. Do you understand that? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. There are two roads people tend to go down. The first one is thinking that if we try really hard, maybe using some kind of self-help, that somehow we can make God very, very happy. But in the end, that makes you, or one, very, very tired. <laughs> because that is not what God's asked us to do. What, it's fundamentally wrong that you never can please God that way. He's not impressed with your trying. What he wants is your trusting. Let me say that again. He's not impressed by your trying. What he wants is your trusting. What he wants is your faith in him. Not trusting in faith, but trusting in him. That's the real path of faith that pleases God. So I don't try hard to please him, but I simply trust him with my life. I trust him with what he has already promised. That's what faith is and why faith is so important. Well, earlier... We asked, why does the author of faith provide all these examples? And we know why, because he tells us in Hebrews, in chapter 12, verse 1, and he says these words, Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, think about it, we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is Set before us. So if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are swimming in an amazing redemptive stream of people who have come before and others who are yet right in the path with you and me, living lives of faith in God. If you've come to church today or you're watching online, and perhaps you could be discouraged, and if you are, let me encourage you because you're not alone. There are those who have walked the road of faith before you, which though should encourage you. They should encourage you. Faith in the Lord overcomes the fears and anxieties of life. Let's go to the text and let's talk about this. Because starting with verse 23 in Hebrews 11, we're introduced to Moses. And here's what it says. By faith, Moses, when he was born was hidden for three months because they saw that the child was beautiful and that they were not, and they were not afraid. Notice the word afraid of the king's edict. Now jump to verse 27 where we see the same thing. By faith. By faith. It says these words, He, Moses, left Egypt not being afraid of the anger of the king. Now be certain that when you walk down the road of faith, you'll easily... Easily be distracted, and if you are, you become afraid and anxious and worried and stressed. I believe last night you had Peter here on the platform, right? Who at times, yes, did believe, but at times was afraid, especially on the scene where he's sinking. But we also at times believe, but we must, as the disciples, call out, Lord, help my unbelief. Am I not right, church? Well, we can be worried and stressed, and I jotted down a few things that people often are afraid of. Maybe you could think of others, but people often fear what other others think about them or what others might do to them. Perhaps you've been there. Others fear the future. What's going to happen? And so they have a great fear about the unseen future. How's things going to turn out? Maybe some of you are right there even now. Some fear the Fear of the unknown, that often puts fear into people's minds and paralyzes people. Some fear personal loss. And lastly, I wrote down these words, you may fear suffering or even death. And those are just a few things that we fear. Am I not right? Well, verses 23 to 29, Moses can teach you and I how to live a life of fear even when there are things, a life of faith, even when there's things around you that can cause you to be afraid. We can see four great questions that I believe every man and woman has to ask if they're going to live a life of faith. If you're going to live a life of faith, I think these four questions are very, very helpful. Pastor Rick Warren refers to four key words, which out of those can come four, I believe, great questions. And so, Here's what they are. First, it's a question about your identity. Second, it's about integrity. Third, it's about a priority question. And then fourth, it's a tenacity question. These are four issues in life that once you understand the implications, you're in a position of living a life of faith that you maybe never thought possible. So let's walk through these four keywords that also I put into a question. The first question is this it's the identity question. And this is found in verse 24, where it says, By faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Every one of us, if we want to live a life of faith, must answer this first question. And this first question is simply, Who am I? And why am I here? Who am I? This was essential for Moses because he had the identity crisis going on very early in life. Think about his background as he was born Jewish, but then he was raised Egyptian. In Pharaoh's palace. So he grew up and he had to decide his identity because this would have a major consequence of his life later on. Here was his choice he could pretend he was Pharaoh's grandson and life would seem to go smooth for him. If he'd accepted that, he would have great fame, he would have fortune, and a great career, what many parents want from their children today. On the other hand, He could admit his Jewish roots, and if he did that, what would happen? The result would be he would be disgraced, humiliated, thrown out of the palace, and forced into slave labor. Now, if you were confronted with these choices, which choice would you make? Not an easy answer. Yes, it's easy for us to look back and say, wow, Moses, you did the right thing. Moses, when he came to this crisis in his life, he made the choice to admit who he really was. He confirmed the identity that God had given him, and he refused to live a lie. That's what the text tells us. He made the decision that would affect the rest of his life. By faith, Moses refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. The word refused in the Greek literally means to reject, to disown, or to really say, no turning back. I'm not going back the way I... I lived and where I came from. He didn't live according to the way the world told him to live. And in order for you and I to live out our identity, we must understand, as 2 Corinthians five seventeen says, if any man is in Christ, he is a what? New creation. Old things are passed away. All things become new. And Moses had to reject the identity that others wanted for him to become. And so must you and I. You have to live the identity that God has given to you. That's how you live a life of faith. Now, a lot of people struggle living a life of faith because they're trying to live someone else's life. I did that when I was in high school. I went to a Christian camp, happened to be Word of Life, heard a youth speaker, and I thought, man, I want to speak just like him. And I tried to do so, and I bombed out every time I did. Why? Because I was trying to be somebody I was not. Well, many people are struggling to live a life of faith because they're, they're also caught up in the values around them, seeking to impress people at work, on social media, or buying things that they can't, can't afford in order to impress people who, whom ultimately don't care. <laughs> if you are a follower of Christ, then your identity is in Christ, a follower of Jesus. Amen, church? He's the head of the church. And that's now who you are. Your identity is in Christ. The second question you have to answer to live a life of faith is the responsibility question. And that question is given to us as we think about what will we do with our life? And we're told in verse 25, Moses writes, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin, which is only for a short season. In verse 24, we have Moses refusing. In verses 25 and 26, we see that he is now choosing. So he's refusing, but now he's choosing. You see the difference? First, there's a negative, and then there's a positive. God always backs up a negative with a positive. The Christian life is not simply a list of do's and don'ts. Amen? It's not just saying, I'm going to not do this. I'm not going to go there and do that because that wouldn't be very Christ-like. But the Christian life is more. It's choosing to do something, and Lord willing, it's for the glory of God and not for self-recognition. You see, it's refusing, but it's also choosing. And so I see he, Moses, refuses, but then he chooses, and that's living a life of faith. What are you going to do with your life? Really? John chapter 15, 16 talks about how God chooses Even us in this whole process, it says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go, that you should go and bear fruit. That's why he's chosen you, that you would be a fruit bearer. Now, some people do that through praying. Some people do that through going and talking their faith across the street across the world but God wants us not just to live our life and just twiddle our thumbs he's wanting us to be fruitful in his providential season that's why you're here how can you do that well first of all you god has chosen you has called you to himself he chooses you to serve he chooses you to be he chooses to love you not because we're lovable <laughs> I know there's nothing lovable about myself that he would choose to love me, but he just simply chooses to love us. For God so loved the world, not because of anything we had did, did, but because of his great love for us. And so we then choose to live out God's will and what he has placed in our hand. Moses was asked, what is in your hand? What's in your hand? What's been placed in your hand? God's given to you resources. God's given you a heritage. And what you have as an opportunity is to lay it down and say, God, use me in any way you see fit. Well, in verse 24, it says, when he had grown up, that's Moses, he made this decision. And at some point, you and I must, we must grow up. Essentially, we must grow up and decide to be used by God. Sometimes it's in our 20s. Sometimes it's in our 30s sometimes 60. Sometimes it's when we're 12. Amen. Sometimes people recognize God wants to use them when they're young. One of the marks of maturity is when you begin to accept responsibility. And that's what the text is given for us next, is to accept responsibility for our spiritual life. That's just one of the marks of maturity. When you realize God has put you in this world, not just to eat fruit, but to bear fruit, to be a fruit bearer. To do something that makes a difference in this world. What am I going to do with my life is the question that we ask. That's a great question of faith. But the third issue that we face is this priority question. And that is, what is really most important? If you're going to live a life of faith, you've got to have a value system. Things that you consider you're willing to die for. They're that important and they're valuable. And you're going to base your life on that priority. Because it's so valuable. That's what Moses did in the moment of crises in his life. He decided what was most important. We see this in verse 26. We notice these words. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt for, notice, he was looking to the reward. Where was his focus? His priority was on Christ and an eternal reward. He wasn't just living for the here and now. So Moses considered, and was, reg- he was means he was regarding something as more precious, more valuable than anything else. What's more valuable, more precious to you than anything else? Each one of us has to come to a decision. And for me, it became one moment in my life where I recognize that people and God's word are going to last forever. And if I don't wrap my priorities around that, then I'm going to miss out. You see, that's what's worth living for. And to consider means to evaluate. And so we have to do that from time to time evaluate our life, evaluate how we're doing, take stock of what is really most important. This isn't something that Moses did quickly, it wasn't a snap decision. It was thinking it through. And based on the direction of my life and my values, we come to a time where we must say, What is most important? What are my priorities? If you were asked by someone that question, what is your priority? What would be your answer? Well, Moses rejected the world's values and he lived by God's values. Now, what is God's value system? I'm glad you asked. You can see it in Moses' choice. Moses basically had two defined choices. There were two choices, or we could say two books on the shelf. Live for God, live for self. That was his major choice. One was being an heir to the throne, popularity. And that would have been good for himself, but he didn't choose that. Don't ever sell out your life for popularity. It's not worth it. Because popularity doesn't last. And in God's economy, people are more valuable than pleasures. And Moses could have had all the pleasures of the world. He could have lived on easy street. There's nothing wrong with having wealth. But he chose his priority where he knew God would have him to place that. And so any whim he wanted, he could have had at his side any time staying there in Egypt. But he had to say, no, I'm going to obey God more than man here. And in order to do right, he had to choose discomfort over pleasure. He did that for the sake of people. Along with God's people, he did that. And it says in verse 25, those words. So what's God's value system answer? It's also what God promises is more important than possessions. Moses gave up the things that most people in this world would spend all their life living their life for. He gave that up. What motivated him to do this? Well, verse 26 says he was looking forward to the eternal reward. He was able to get his values right because he had the right perspective. And that's what each of us have to decide on. Your values are determined, my values are determined by my perspective, how I think will affect my habits and therefore my lifestyle. Your values are determined by your vision. And Moses was a man of perspective or vision. That means he looked forward through his life to the eternal of what God was doing. And because of that, he was able to value God's promise above the possessions of his life. Now, there's a fourth question. This is the last one in Moses' life that we need to answer if we're going to live a life of faith. And that is called the tenacity question. The tenacity question. And what that basically is explaining is in verse 27 and 29. Notice it says, By faith he left Egypt. Not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. And by faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch him. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. The tenacity question is, will I endure? Will I endure? You see, it's not just the first step of faith that one takes, but to persevere. And the whole theme of Hebrews 11 is endurance, perseverance. I love this phrase in the Bible, which says, because I saw him who is invisible. You see, he didn't take his eyes off the goal because he didn't take his eyes off of God, who he could trust. And that is why God used Moses. So he left left Egypt. He kept the Passover. He passed through the Red Sea. But through all these things... There was some waiting involved. Now, one of the questions behind tenacity is, how long will I wait? That's not an easy one for any of us, right? How long can I wait to see the fulfillment of a vision that God has given for my life, for my family, for my ministry? Do you really want the greater reward, the eternal reward that comes by faith? Well, understanding God's economy just as we've noticed through the life of Moses, that a person's faith is strengthened by others who have walked by faith. Understand Moses' life of faith, though, isn't all about Moses. today, Today I'm using Moses as an example, but I don't want you to stop with Moses because you and I must go beyond Moses. And that's the point of the story, of Moses' story. That's the point of my story. Moses' story points to even a greater story, that's a redemptive story. The larger story gives you and me confidence to walk by faith. So look at this: when Moses was born, he was hidden because Pharaoh was killing babies. And when Jesus was born, guess what? Herod was killing babies. Very, I, I was just astonished as I went through this list this last week. Moses was placed in a basket. Jesus was placed in a, ma- a manger. Moses left the privileges of Egypt as Jesus left the glories of heaven to come to earth to suffer and die for you and me. Moses identified with the slaves in Egypt. In Philippians 2, it says, Jesus became a slave. Moses was rejected by his people. We know Jesus came unto his own and was rejected by them. Moses led an exodus, freeing his people from slavery. Jesus offers a great exodus, freeing us from spiritual bondage. Moses parted the sea. Jesus calmed the sea. Moses sprinkled the blood on the doorpost, which was necessary for the covering of sin. But Jesus is the lamb that was slain to take away the sins of the world. Moses brought the covenant, the law. Jesus is the new covenant. Don't you see? Moses' story is only pointing you to a larger story. A gospel story. So if you feel paralyzed in your faith, let me invite you to look to Jesus. Look to the one and only who can truly satisfy the bread of life. In Korea, we call it the rice of life. Because that's what satisfies. Maybe you were here last night. If you notice the Koreans always want to eat rice, that's their meal. Because that's what's going to give them true satisfaction where many Americans, Westerners, will eat bread that gives a type of satisfaction to to a meal. But Jesus came and said, I am the one who truly satisfies. So today, as I close this message, let me urge you, let me encourage you, let me plead with you to look to Jesus, the founder, the perfecter of our faith, who just like the little Chinese girl knew there was no way out except through a cross, who... Who just like her and like us was terrified. Had fear. Jesus was terrified to drink the cup of his father's wrath. So much so he sweat drops of blood. But what did he do? He trusted in the father's hands. And faith in the father overcomes the fear of the cross. It was for Jesus and so it is for us. Where do you have your faith this morning? Is it placed in what you can see or what you do not see. Yet you can believe as Hebrews 11 says. One gives you that confidence. And as a result, Jesus left us with the greatest example. The world has ever known himself as the one and only who can take away the sins of the world. As we sang that hymn, Faith of Our Fathers, it says, yes, we go to great lengths to win the lost. We do that because we trust him. Yes, he wants one day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess from every tribe, every language saying he is worthy. He alone is worthy of all glory, honor, and praise. And one day we'll sit around the throne and we'll be there with all the saints that have come before us and those that have come to know Jesus as their savior and followed him. Will you be one of those? If not today, will you put your faith and trust in him? Would you close your eyes? As I pray this prayer for you as we end our time together, let me just urge you today to trust him, whatever it may be. And maybe with those four questions we ask, one of those you need this week to also go back to and recognize maybe you need to endure something that you didn't expect, but you want to do it for the glory of God because you understand it's worth it in the end. Father.